Okay, find Second uh, Kings chapter three as we continue uh, walking through First and Second Kings, looking at the subject matter, the impact of leadership and spiritual life on national affairs, and looking tonight at the subject matter when God saves us in spite of ourselves. I'll be reading uh, all of chapter three, and tonight I'm reading from the CSB, the Christian Standard uh, Bible. Uh, Joram, son of Ahab, became king over Israel in Samaria during the 18th year of, of Judas, King Jehoshaphat, and he reigned 12 years. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight, but not like his father and mother, for he removed the sacred pillar of Baal, his, uh, sacred pillar of Baal his father had made, Nevertheless, Joram clung to the sins that Jeroboam, son of Nebat, had caused Israel to commit. He did not turn away from them. King Mesha of Moab was a sheep breeder. He used to pay the king of Israel 100,000 lambs and the wool of 100,000 uh, rams. But when Ahab died, the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. So King Joram marched out from Samaria at that time and mobilized all Israel. Then he sent a message to King Jehoshaphat of Judah. The king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you go with me to fight against Moab? Jehoshaphat said, I will go. I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. He asked, which route should we take? He replied, the route of the wilderness of Edom. So the king of Israel, the king of Judah, and the king of Edom set out. After they had traveled their indirect route for seven days, they had no water for the army or the animals with them. Then the king of Israel said, Oh no, the Lord has summoned these three kings only to hand them over to Moab. But Jehoshaphat said, Isn't there a prophet of the Lord here? Let's inquire of the Lord through him. One of the servants of the king of Israel answered, Elisha, son of Shephat, who used to pour water on Elijah's hands, is here. Jehoshaphat affirmed, The word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went to him. However, Elisha said to king Joram of Israel, What do we have in common? Go to the prophets of your father and your mother. But the king of Israel replied, No, because it is the Lord who has summoned these three kings to hand them over to Moab. Elisha responded, By the life of the Lord of armies before whom I stand, if I did not have respect for King Jehoshaphat of Judah, I wouldn't look at you. I would not take notice of you. Now bring me a musician. While the musician played, the Lord's hand came on Elisha. Then he said, this is what the Lord says, dig ditch after ditch in this wadi. For the Lord says you will not see wind or rain, but the wadi, a wadi was a, a dried up riverbed, riverbeds that would fill up in the flood season, but otherwise be dried out. But the wadi will be filled with water and you will drink, you and your cattle and your animals. This is easy in the Lord's sight. He will also hand Moab over to you. Then you will attack every fortified city and every choice city. You will cut down every good tree and stop up every spring. 
you will ruin every good piece of land with stones. About the time for the grain offering, the next morning, water suddenly came from the direction of Edom and filled the land. All Moab had heard that the kings had come up to fight against them, so all who could bear arms from the youngest to the oldest were summoned and took their stand at the border. When they got up early in the morning, the sun was shining on the water, and the Moabites saw that the water across from them was red like blood. This is blood, they exclaimed. The kings have crossed swords, and their men have killed one another. So to the spoil, Moab. However, when the Moabites came to Israel's camp, the Israelites attacked them, and they fled from them. So Israel went into the land attacking the Moabites. They would destroy the cities, and each of them would throw a stone to cover every good piece of land. They would stop up every spring and cut down every good tree. This went on until only the buildings of Kir Harasheth were left. Then men with slings surrounded the city and attacked it. When the king of Moab saw that the battle was too fierce for him, he took 700 swordsmen with him to try to break through to the king of Edom, but they could not do it. So he took his firstborn son, who was to become king in his place, and he offered him as a burnt offering on the city wall. Great wrath was on the Israelites, and they withdrew from him and returned to their land. Now, folks, as chapter 3 opens, we see that once again we have gone from God's work with his servants to God calling upon them for ministry, to get involved in ministry. And it's a reminder to us of where ministry takes place. Ministry takes place out in the world. God does his work in us so he can do his work through us. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. You're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. We're to make a difference in this world. Our ministries take place in this world. And right before Jesus said that, you're the salt of the earth and the light of the world, there were the Beatitudes that describe what our characteristics are to be. That if we're poor in spirit and persecuted for him and we mourn over sin, uh, if we have the right type of godly character, then we will be salt and we will be light. Elijah and Elisha certainly lived with that kind of a godly character and they had tremendous impact. They were salt and light. And because of that, God even used them to impact kings and nations. And once again, we see that here in chapter 3. Elijah, we know, is gone on to heaven now. Elisha is God's prophet in the land. And as the text opens, we see that Azariah's brother, Jehoram, is now king over Israel. Remember, there was Ahab. Uh, Ahab and Jezebel followed Baal, the pagan Canaanite religion, right after Ahab was uh, Azariah, who fell through the lattice. We looked at him last time, so he was short-lived and short, short in his reign. And so now his brother Jehoram is king over Israel. 
So again, Jehoram is one of the sons of Ahab. Uh, now what we're going to learn in this chapter is the mess that man gets in when he fails to seek the heart and mind of God. Whenever we go out on our own and don't seek God's direction, boy, we end up in some real messes, don't we? Now the first thing I want you to see with me tonight is partial obedience. Partial obedience. Uh, read verse 2 with me again. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight, but not like his father and mother, for he removed the sacred pillar of Baal his father had made. Nevertheless, Joram, just shortened form, to, form of Jehoram, uh, same person, uh, Joram clung to the sins that Jeroboam, son of Nebat, had caused Israel to commit. He did not turn away from them. Now, what are we being told here? We're being told that Joram is better than his father and mother. He's better than Ahab and Jezebel. But he's not there yet, is he? And folks, we also need to be reminded that man is not our standard. Who's our standard? Christ. And you know, when we think of Christ being our standard, what did he say at the end of the Sermon on the Mount? Be ye perfect, even as your Father who is in heaven is perfect. Can you live up to that standard? No. So what must we do? We must throw ourselves upon God's mercy. But right off the bat, we are set up to see a man who is not fully devoted to the Lord. Again, he did evil in the sight of the Lord, though not quite as bad as his father and mother. He put away the bales, but he still worshipped the golden calves that Jeroboam had set up in the northern kingdom in Israel. You know, I think to qualify the statement that I did at the first point to say partial obedience, I, I think I'm kind of being generous. You know, if anything, I'm being generous in talking about it. Uh, but nonetheless, I think what the text is cluing us in on is that there could be perhaps a ray of hope in him. Because he's not as bad as his mom and dad. But what's God looking for? Total obedience. What happened in that scenario in 1 Samuel 15? Does anybody remember that particular narrative? King didn't destroy all the cattle and people who left that supposedly forgot. Yes. Uh, uh, God told Saul that he was to go to war against the Amalekites. And he was to totally wipe them out. He was not to save any spoils of war. And so Saul led his troops in the battle against the Amalekites. But then what happened? What did they end up doing? He kept the good stuff. He kept the good stuff. Yeah. On the excuse of what? We kept the good stuff that we can offer as a sacrifice to God. And what did Samuel say to him? What meaneth in bleeding in my ear? 
If you fully, when uh, Saul said, I fully obeyed the Lord my God, Samuel said, then why do I hear all these sheep and goats bleeding in my ears? I'm sorry, forgive me. Uh, if someone has a great Jeep, the alarm is going off. Okay. So, thank you. It's trying to save a battery. <laughs> so, anyway, uh, where was I? Yeah, and then and Samuel said, you know, what's this sheep then that I hear bleeding my, in my ears? Is obedience not better than, sac than sacrifice? God's after obedience. And what kind of obedience? Total obedience. Not just going halfway. We're to have both feet in the kingdom. Right? We're not to be half in and half out. Halfway obeying God and half not. No straddling the fence. Exactly. We're not to be lukewarm. Uh, so Jeroboam is certainly a, a disappointment in this regard. Now folks, what would be said of you and me? How would you be described? Think about that. If verse 2 was being said of us, what would the words of verse 2 say? Would it say they served the Lord in their generation more than their forefathers, but still not wholeheartedly? Or would it say he turned away from all the idols that the men of his generation gave their hearts to, and he wholeheartedly sought after the Lord? What would be said of you? Think about that. Secondly, I want you to see unwise zeal unwise zeal, beginning there in verse 4. We see here that Moab has used this change of kings in Israel to rebel. Again, there was Ahab. Ahab died, and then his son Azariah, who had a short reign, and now Azariah's brother, Joram, is king. And what, what does the king of Moab see this as an opportunity to do? to break away from Israel. Because what had the king of Moab been paying to the king of Israel? A hundred thousand sheep. Exactly. A hundred thousand sheep. Uh, so Moab's going to break away from this economic arrangement between kings. And folks, this was not an unusual scenario. In the ancient world, a lot of times when there were treaties and alliances and agreements between kings, when the king of one area died, the king still remaining would see it as an opportunity if he was having to pay the other king something, that would be a good opportunity to try to rebel. So this was kind of a common thing that would, that would go on. And so that's what the king of Moab is doing here. He's breaking a trade agreement. Uh, Moab, I want you to remember, was a place that had lots and lots of sheep. But still, this was a huge tribute that he was paying to Ahab. But with Ahab dead, the king of Moab decides he's going to try the resolve of the new king. Is the new king, Joram, going to have the guts to do anything? when he cuts off this trade agreement. 
So what's the king of Israel do? He immediately assembles his forces. And he goes to Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, and asks him to join in with him. Now, does this sound familiar to anybody? You remember Ahab had wanted Jehoshaphat to go into battle with him against Benadad. You remember? And so when the king of Israel went to Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, and said, will you go to war against Benadad with me? What, what were Jehoshaphat's words? My men are your men. My horses or camels are your horses and camels. Sounds very familiar to what uh, Jehoshaphat did with Ahab, the agreement. And again, what sounds familiar? Jehoshaphat back then wanted Ahab to do what? <coughs> to seek the prophets. And so there are 400 <coughs> prophets told Ahab, yeah, go ahead and go into battle. And Jehoshaphat said, is there not a true prophet of the Lord? And, and what was it that Ahab said? Yeah, there is one, Micaiah, but I don't like him because he never prophesies anything good about me. Well, Ahab went into battle and he disguised himself because Micaiah said that you're going to be killed in battle. Ahab thinks he can disguise himself, go into battle and be safe, but he wasn't safe. The word of the Lord came true and Ahab was killed in battle. So here goes Jehoshaphat again saying to Joram almost exactly what Jehoshaphat had said to Joram's father Ahab. Well, the king of Israel wants his help and he jumps right in. These two kings decide to attack Moab from the southern border. Remember, if, you're, if you were looking at Israel, think of... If this is the sea and this is Israel, you have Judah and you have the Sea of Galilee and the Jordan River and the Dead Sea. You have Edom down here and Moab here and Ammon here. Normally, you would, if you were going to attack Moab, you'd, you'd take the northern route. You would just go right over across the Jordan and end up in Moab and attack them. That's what the king of Moab expects, that they're going to take the normal route. So no doubt, he has positioned the lion's share of his troops there. But instead, what are they going to do? They're going to pull a fast one and they're going to come this way. They're going to take the southern route, go through Edom, get the king of Edom on their team as they go up and attack Moab. That's the plan. Uh, so it seems on the, on the first blush to be a good strategy. You're going to take Moab by surprise because they're going to have their troops up further north. 
But it didn't work out so well, did it? Time they get over to Moab, get their troops in place. What's the problem? There's no water. You know, folks, a couple of mistakes here. First of all, they didn't put their plans before God. They're strategizing. They're planning. They're, they're putting their battle plans together. But it doesn't seem like they're inquiring of the Lord at all. They're not seeking wisdom from above. That's a danger, isn't it? And then a second problem, apparently they didn't make adequate preparations for their troops and their animals. And so now they're in a mess. Now people today wouldn't do something like this, would they? Remember in James' day how James is saying, you know, you business people, you make your plans. We're going to go here and buy and sell and trade and stay a year there and we're going to make a bunch of money and we're going to go and do this. And what's James say? The Lord, you ought to say if God wills. Because your life is a vapor. You're presuming. You're not seeking God's plans. You're not seeking wisdom from above. You're not asking Him to help you direct your steps. We do the same type of stuff today and we get in a mess and then we have to throw it in reverse and try to back out of the mess we get ourselves into because we don't seek God. We don't spend enough time seeking God before we make major decisions. We do the same thing. But you know, you read through First and Second Kings and the characters involved and what do you begin to think? You begin to think are these same characters and these same guys, are they ever going to learn? I mean, it's like they're just making constantly the same mistakes over and over and over again. So now they basically have to say, uh-oh, God, will you bless our mess? How can we avoid that? Well, we need to pray through things until we have a peace about something. And if you're married, there also needs to be agreement with you and your spouse, right? That this is something that's the right timing, the right thing to do. We also need to seek out the counsel of godly friends who are walking with the Lord, right? That's some of the things we ought to be doing. You know, seeking out the mind and heart of God may be difficult, it may be time-consuming, but boy, it can save us a lot of headaches in the long run. Just think back in your own life, some of the messes that you probably wouldn't have gotten yourself into had you sought God's will first. Had you done that first. They've apparently jumped into this war without really thinking the ramifications of, of everything. And now they're in trouble. You can't fight a battle if your soldiers don't have water. And the cattle that they had with them or the, the sheep or whatever they had with them by way of livestock, that was basically their food supply that they were carrying with them. Now their food supply is all going to die at once. And any horses they're on, you know, if you need horses to go into battle, they're not going to be able to if they don't have water. I mean, you're going to be in a mess all the way around. They're in a desperate situation. And so here's Jehoshaphat again in verse 11. 
just like in 1 Kings, asking for a prophet of the Lord. And that's a good thing to do. Now, it's a little late, but at least he asked for that. Uh, Jehoshaphat, though, he's a bit of a puzzle to me. Is he to y'all? I mean, it, it's like he wants God on the one hand, but he goes ahead and does things without seeking God. He's, Jehoshaphat's kind of an enigma. Uh, and the testimony given of him, he's, he's pretty good, but then he'll turn around and do his own thing. But what's Elisha say to him? Say, he says to the king of Israel, you know, because of Jehoshaphat, I'm going to seek the Lord in your behalf. So Elisha must think a little bit of Jehoshaphat. But still, Jehoshaphat, he's, he's a lot like us, is all I know uh, how to say. Uh, Jehoshaphat's a lesson to us that we need to make up our minds. We vacillate too much. We need to make up our minds. But thirdly, I want you to see God's grace. Verses 16 and following. God answers. Look what he says in verse uh, 16. This is what the Lord says. Dig ditch after ditch in this wadi. For the Lord says, you will not see wind or rain, but the wadi will be filled with water, and you will drink, you and your cattle and your animals. This is easy in the Lord's sight. Despite their half-cocked plan to get into this battle without seeking God's face first, despite the fact they've not adequately prepared, God basically bails them out. Aren't you glad God bails us out a lot? He's the God of the second chance and third chance and fourth chance. Uh, it's like David said in Psalm 103, God has pity on us. He knows that we are but dust. And then verses 17 and 18 gives a further promise. God's, God's going to give them the water and he's going to end up giving them the victory. And this miracle he's going to do to give them the water, notice what he says here about that. It's easy for God. It's easy for God. Folks, think about this. They've gotten in this land. They've gone this southern route, taking more time away from water supplies. They're in a mess. They're in a drought. Neither they nor their animals have any water. Here they are approaching an enemy force. They're, they're in a mess. Human inability. And here's God. It's going to give them water. Does God say, oh, this is going to be hard to do, but I think maybe I can muster enough strength to get you water? No. It's an easy thing for God. Scripture says, you know, in the beginning, God said, let there be light, and there was what? Light. Easy for God. No big deal. God's big enough to handle all of our problems. And isn't that why we need to go to Him first? He's the all-wise God. Now, what follows is nothing short of a miracle. They were to dig these trenches, 
And God's going to miraculously fill them with water. And then the next morning, the way the sun's going to shine on the water, God's going to make the Moabites to think it's blood. And that all the armies of Judah and Israel have turned on one another. And so when the king of Moab says, go get the spoils, they go into the camp of the Israelites and the people of Judah and the Israelites come out and defeat them. The king of Moab, you know, then thinks what? He thinks he can maybe get through to the king of Edom, you know, because they were both over here in the Transjordan area to the east of the Jordan River and the Dead Sea. They're over in this region, so he's thinking now that, now that he's getting whooped up on because the God of Israel is helping his people win the battle, he's thinking even though the king of Eden has thrown in the hat with Judah and Israel, maybe he can talk him back into joining forces with him. But that fails. So what's he do next? He does the unthinkable. You know, if Israel's God has answered them and given them water, then our God... Uh, Chemos, the Moabite God, he decides he's going to sacrifice his son to his God. Maybe, maybe the Moabites will get some divine intervention. And folks, the pagan nations around Israel would indeed sacrifice their children. They would offer their children to their false gods and idols. So he's no doubt thinking if he does a desperate act like that, even though his son's supposed to be his successor to the throne. So if he sacrifices his son to his God, his God will see what a sacrifice he's making and answer the Moabites and intervene for them against Israel. Well, his God is no God at all. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Verse 27 is a difficult verse to translate in the Hebrew. When it ends up saying great wrath was on the Israelites and they withdrew from him and returned to their land, interpreters think that what's being said is that when the Moabites saw their king go so far as to sacrifice his own son, there was either renewed wrath and determination among the Moabites to fight with all their strength against Israel. And Israel decides they've, they've destroyed so much of Moab anyway, they'll just go ahead and return home and avoid the most fierce battles. Or as one translation offers it, that the Israelites themselves were so filled with wrath and disgust when they saw the king of Moab offering his own son in child sacrifice. They were so full of wrath and disgust at this happening. They had basically won the victory they wanted to win, so they, they go back home. We don't know which way to really translate it. Either way, though, the chapter ends on this sad note. There was victory, but also tragedy. 
And that too can be a reminder when we get into messes. God can end up giving us the victory, but there can be a lot of collateral damage in the process. I wonder today what your legacy is going to be. If the chapter closed on your life tonight, would your legacy be partial obedience or full surrender? What would you be known for? Are there, are there areas of your life that are not fully surrendered to the Lord? Are you 90% surrendered, 10% not? Well, if that's the case, you're living your life somewhat in rebellion to God. Is your life truly a living sacrifice? Are you fully surrendered? Do you jump into things without seeking the mind of God and the will of God first? You know, that's basically practical atheism, isn't it? Oh, we would never call ourselves atheists, but sometimes we can do like the atheists would do and just go ahead and live our lives any old way we want to live, right? I'm not saying we're atheists, but I'm saying practical atheism is, is confessing God, but then living your life as though God doesn't exist. Would anybody in here be guilty of that? Do you venture into major decisions? Never seek God's face. Never seek His will. Are there some things right now that you need to put before God in prayer? Maybe what you need to do right now is nothing yet except getting on your knees before God. Take time to do that. Time before God on your knees in prayer is not wasted time. Perhaps you could testify how God has spared you at some point in your life and turned the situation around. Now, we don't want to continue to test God in these matters, but isn't it a story, a testimony of His grace that all of us could probably tell times, tell of times that we started out on our own and got in a mess and God saved us? and helped us. We probably all have a story like that. Again, thank God that He is a God of the second chance. So those, those, those lessons here in chapter 3 are powerful lessons. Not to just run out and do whatever's in your heart and mind. Even if it seems to be a good thing, running out and doing it without consulting God first. Consult Him first. And be 100% surrendered. Anything that I missed that stands out to you tonight in this passage? Any feedback you want to give? I was thinking in my own life, if you're too busy for God, you're too busy. Uh, I was called a mad hatter growing up. And, uh, mad hatter? Yeah, from Alice in Wonderland. Right. And uh, I was always too busy. And what you say here, so much heartache could have been avoided 
You know, some people today, they, they might make a job change or buy a house or buy a vehicle and they're like, end up in trouble with that. Why did I do that? I didn't even pray about it. I just did it. And they end up in the wrong job or they end up in the mess because of the house they bought or whatever. So, well, we, we can all it. be presumptuous, can't we? We do it, then we pray about it. Yeah. That's what we tend to do. Pastor, uh -huh. question. At the beginning of the article, he talks about the, the hands of, what did I say about Elijah? Elijah, the son of, who poured water on the hands of Elijah. Yes. Did they represent anything special with that? or Just the fact that Elisha had been a servant to Elijah. Okay. Uh, and, you know, of course, Elisha wanted a double portion of Elijah's spirit to follow him. So it's just pointing out that he'd been a sidekick in a good way to Elijah. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's important too, right? Uh, because Elisha was faithful in his relationship to Elijah. God kind of trained Elisha up through the example of Elijah. He'd been a servant to Elijah. So, anyway, that's simply what's being said there. <clears throat> Did you have your... Oh, I thought you put your hand up. <laughs> <laughs> Are you keeping all the names straight? First and second kings? Okay. We just use your notes. We don't even have to prepare. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, do your work for it. Write you. it right off and say, here it is. Here it is. <laughs> <laughs> I do, I copied that for you. Yeah. <laughs> 